Welcome to a healthy bite. You're one nibble closer to a more satisfying way of life, a healthier you, and bite-sized bits of healthy motivation. Now let's dig in on the dish with Rebecca Huff. Hey, it's Rebecca, and today I'm here with Dr. Janetta Jamerson, and we're going to talk about something that hopefully going to help everyone that is experiencing holiday stuff because along with the fun holidays, we always get the, you know, kind of the struggle side of the holidays. So I thought it would be nice if we brought Dr. J on here and we asked Dr. J some questions about how we manage holidays when there's a lot of difficulties. And you've been on my show before, but would you introduce yourself just a little bit? Tell us about your family and stuff. Okay. I'm Dr. Janetta Jamerson, and I have been in practice since 2006. I think I said it wrong the first time I was on your show. Um, private practice, clinical psychologist. Um, I am married and have a three-year-old daughter. Sweet. And I've been seeing Dr. J for a while, and she always helps me with the best strategies and stuff. So um, definitely think if you're ever struggling with some issues and just want to know how to, you know, cope with different things that come up in life. It's a great thing to have a therapist. I think all people of all walks of life can benefit from having someone that can just kind of help us get through difficult times or even really just everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's just strengthening you and um, I guess in times of Prosper, prosperous times or times of plenty. Um, just how do I maintain that, keep that going, stay grounded? Like it's really, there's not a time that it's not somewhat beneficial. Right. And I think that's a, a common misunderstanding when it comes to seeing a therapist is that there has to be a big problem or you have to have a mental health disorder or something. Um, but that's not true. That's not true. I think it helps just to be able to um, almost take your the issues that you're going through and your thoughts about how you're doing kind of almost dissecting it and Mm -hmm. then helping me figure out how I want to deal with it so no I love the way you said that did you I want to do deal with yeah well and you know the reason I said it like that is because I think this happens to me so often I'm not sure if it happens to other people who see therapists but my friends or even family will say well what did Dr. J tell you to do (laughs) And my response is, Dr. J has never told me to do anything. And they're like, well, what is her advice? And I said, Dr. J doesn't give advice. (laughs) So what do you do? What did I help you find it? What's inside of yourself, it's already there. It's just there's so many things that get in the way of us accessing um, what we need, what we know to be true, what our value system is, how we want to behave, fear gets in the way. I just help quiet some of that noise so you can find what's inside of you and um, help you come up with your strategies. Yeah. And so that brings us to the point of why I ask you to help us out with this at this time of year. So I talk to a lot of people in my groups and, you know, just friends in life. And I know that although we all tend to look forward to the holidays, there's a lot of apprehension because there can be difficulties when it comes to dealing with some difficult interactions with maybe family members or relationships. So there's a lot of strain. So just kind of on a vague level, do you have some recommendations for managing these types of things? Probably the most important thing is to 
kind of establish a set of expectations for yourself. If you're traveling with a family that you've created a partner, talk to each other about like, what are, what do we expect? How do we want to address things as they come up? What can we agree on? Um, having a, a team approach is helpful. If you're traveling by yourself, make that decision for yourself. It's probably a little bit easier <laughs> because you're the only one you have to negotiate with. Um, these are my standards. This is what I do in this case. This is a contingency plan. Um, if, if I get offended or offend someone, this is how I'll respond. Um, maybe even have, um, have a plan for somewhere else to stay if that becomes necessary. But it's more about preemptively striking. Um, another opportunity is available there to talk to the people you're going to visit or spend time with or who you plan to host and try to negotiate expectations with them as well. Set some boundaries. I will not discuss these things or if these sorts of things come up, feel free to discuss them and I will not participate. So things like that to kind of set the stage for it. That doesn't mean everyone is going to abide by the rules of engagement, but at least that provides a, an opportunity for you to say, I'm going to abide by what I established. And that way their expectations of you are set and, and your job really is to, um, to abide by what you say you're going to do. That's good. I think one of the most valuable things that I have learned in our time of talking together is um, just perceiving that I have a choice in a lot of these situations. And so I think this is something that maybe comes up with people when they have holidays coming up, they feel this obligation to spend time with everyone or certain members of the family. Uh, but whenever you were, you've taught me this and I, I think i sometimes remember, Oh yes, I have a choice in that. I don't right. have to do this. So how right. can people get that through? Can you help us with that? Like if, so this is a new concept for someone. I am the youngest child of um, three girls in my family. I'm the last person who gets a say in what happens, where we go, what we do. It's just expected that I will show up wherever they declare is where we're going to be celebrating and I'll find a cot or something, spot on the floor to sleep on. Um, so it is, it's a difficult position to be in if I want to assert myself because the expectation is that, oh, she'll just go along with as she's always gone along with. Um, so from that position, I actually still do have a choice. I don't have to travel if I don't want to. I don't have to stay anywhere I don't want to. Um, I don't have to participate in anything I don't want to participate in. Now, the issue that tends to come up is that I value family. I also value autonomy. It's how do I balance my values the best way possible for me? And can I be flexible enough to determine in the moment how to balance those values, even if it is um, a little bit of a shift from what I expected might happen or what I wanted to, I can, I can go to my contingency plan um, so that I can honor my values and not get caught up in the moment. So if my mom says that we are going to do Christmas seven hours away and I don't want to throw my toddler in the car and drive seven hours, I can say, you know what? I think we're going to wake up Christmas morning in our home, in our PJs and Maybe I'll show up the day after. That way I'm honoring my, my connection to family, my desire to connect to my family, but also wanting to protect the family I've created and balance my own needs. I need to rest. I'm busy. I work hard. Yeah. Okay. So once someone's made this choice, we've decided what we're going to do. Okay. I'm not going to participate in this particular event. Mm -hmm. Then comes the, the hard part. Okay. So you may have decided, and this may be brand new for a lot of people like it was for me. 
ah, I have a choice. I'm not obligated to do this. But then comes the hard part of telling people that you won't be there. How much, I guess I don't, and I'm not looking for permission to not have to explain why, but basically what's the idea? What would you say about how much we have to explain why we choose not to? There's a choice too. You don't have to explain anything in order to maintain connection or honor your value system. You may decide I want to share my experience. Um, But you know, getting into that sort of thing, you do open yourself up to their feedback And so I would challenge everyone to be open to that without the pressure of agreeing with them or that their behavior would be influenced by what the other person's feedback is. So be willing to stand your ground, but also be willing to hear what it is that they have to say and how they feel about it. Uh, But you can um, shift if you want to and negotiate something new if you want to incorporate what it is that they have to say. Or if you decide to stand firm, then you may want to be clear about your intentions and that it's not about a lack of care, concern, or desire to connect, but it's more about a protection or preservation of self and that you hope that they would respect your needs. Right. And I think a lot too has to do with your expectations of, you know, how that conversation is going to go, what you think they're going to say or how much you're going to engage in it, because I, I could see where it could turn into a back and forth situation, which. Right is one more stressor that our goals are about how we effectively communicate, not what the other person's reaction or response is that determines whether or not we've been successful is have I stated clearly, or at least attempted to be understood um, based on whether they can express, they understand us or not, but not necessarily to gain approval or to have my behavior influenced. Right. I, that's, that's the key right there is what I was thinking of is that it's not, um, your expectation isn't that you're getting the other person's approval, but that you're to maintain this relationship, you're explaining kind of a little bit of your why. Is that kind of it? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And so um, another thing I think that comes up a lot of times is people just being stressed when they're stretched between a lot of families. So, you know, this happens just in a normal marriage where there's just a husband and wife and, you know, they have his family and her family, but then you have the step family situations and then you have the exes and all of this dividing of time. How can people manage all of the stress that comes from that and just all of the expectations and everything? It's like a mixed bag. Well, it really does start with good self-care and especially this time of year when it's a little more gloomy and dark and stress can take over us a little bit more readily than when we have lots of sunlight and we're getting to enjoy ourselves a little bit more and not cooped up in a spot in order to stay warm. So start with self-care, be in a good place where your brain can function the way it needs to. And that helps you to make decisions and strategize your plan. Um, But then again, we go back to just the expressing, this is what I intend to do. And I hope that um, you will be accepting of that. But if you aren't, uh, that that's going to be the plan that I have to stick to in order to meet my needs and balance the needs of everybody else. Um, and again, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, um, but you might decide to do something that doesn't necessarily appeal to you for the service of some other value. Um, that might mean being in a room with an ex um, because you want to preserve your children and their ability to enjoy the holidays, but you could still have some boundaries around that. You know, I don't necessarily want to talk to your dad or I don't really want to sit next to your mom and you can make those requests, but 
um, you can always leave. You don't have to host anybody or home that you're uncomfortable hosting anybody with. You can meet in some neutral territory. I think the Cracker Barrel is always open. But this is something where a team approach is going to be a little bit more helpful. You know, how can we balance everyone's needs and minimize everyone's discomfort? Yes, that's wonderful advice. Um, advice. <laughs> yes. Which well, is it? <laughs> it is kind of advice. Yes. And, and then that brings up another thing because you said, you know, sitting by, you know, whoever, cause this always happens when you get a, a big family and everyone's together. We all have that one uncle or one, you know, one and someone in our family who always wants to discuss politics or religion or something really difficult and, you know, gets the tension kind of where you can feel it in the air. How do we cope with that? Well, again, have a plan with any of the people that you're with, and then you're free to choose and say, I'm not going to engage in that conversation. Um, feel free to have the conversation you want to. I'm not going to engage. I'm not interested in answer, or I won't answer that question, or this is not a conversation I'm comfortable with. So you don't have to participate. And people who are really those, like you said, that uncle that's really a, a pusher will push and you'll get a response first and they will try and they will try to push your buttons and get you to react. And that is, again, we're being very healthy going into it is going to be really beneficial. You know, maybe limit your alcohol use because once your inhibitions are down, you're going to react emotionally. Um, so try not to do that. And I'm not saying don't have a drink because sometimes that can take the edge off, but know where you need to be, where you can respond appropriately and behave in line with your values. But it's completely fine and okay to say, you know, that's just not a conversation I'm interested in. Be careful about judgment. Don't pass judgment. You know, don't insult someone for having um, discussions that you don't want to participate in. Just say, I, I statements. I am not going to participate. I am uncomfortable with that. Or choose that moment to go powder your nose. (laughs) (laughs) Opt out. (laughs) Avoid confrontation at all costs. That's me. And I I really would encourage really speaking up and asserting oneself versus versus the avoidance of it because you want people to learn um, how to engage you. And if we just disappear, then people aren't learning that, that it's something that you don't desire or don't want to be a part of. So right. if you can, and I know that not everyone feels capable of that or feels paralyzed by that. As I mentioned, the youngest in my family, it's been a, took a while before I felt more comfortable with that. And in some spaces, I'm still not. And I teach skills. But um, if you can, challenge yourself to, to be assertive and just state, I, I don't want to participate that or I would rather talk about this or do this thing. That makes sense. I, I think there's some people I can see that I would put, boundaries up with. And then some people, I think it would be easier to just opt out of this conversation. So I think, I mean, knowing that you have a choice there also really helps. Um, Another one that someone asked me to ask you about was for empty nesters, people who have adult children who are not going to be home during the holidays. I'm one of those people. So this was a really popular one. I asked in my group, Hope Lively, Um, if they had any specific holiday stressor questions. So how can we cope with this when it's maybe our first or maybe even not our first holiday season without our children at home? Well, it's certainly fair to acknowledge the grief of that, um, particularly if it's a time that you really enjoy celebrating. Um, This may not be the most popular part of my response, but the culture has kind of dictated that we're supposed to do certain things on these certain dates. We don't have to adopt that for ourselves. 
you know, a lot of the pain is from missed expectations. I should have a bunch of family around a tree singing Christmas carols. And that's not necessarily what has to happen. That may have been something that you participated in and enjoyed for years, but as the, as your dynamic shift, you can shift too and come up with new traditions or new things that you enjoy. Um, it's hard to really deviate fully from the culture. Uh, I can't decide to go to work on, on December 25th because that's not going to happen. I can't just decide I'm going to go to Dollywood on the 25th because it's going to be closed. So mm -hmm. there are just things that um, we are limited, but there are still things that we can do to take ownership of it and try something new. Maybe the new tradition is to visit a new city or to do holidays with friends. So it doesn't, we don't have to be tied to the expectations of the culture. We can be flexible in that and determine what it is that we want to do. Now, if we are um, just unable to do what we want to do because we want to spend it with people we want to spend it with, it's fair to limit that um, and just to allow yourself the grief and figure out ways to best take care of yourself. And uh, maybe you come up with a plan where you do something creative, um, where there's something maybe you don't have time to do when you're really busy. Um, working or managing a household where you just don't get time to just bake cookies and decorate cookies or um, uh, knit something that you want to knit or enjoy your guilty pleasure on television that nobody else in the family enjoys. So that really might be a time to say, this is how I intend to celebrate it. And if it's a religious holiday and you want to really honor that and in a way that um, gatherings have really affected your ability to do so, that'd be a great time to do that or maybe try a new culture. I remember um, when I had my first Catholic friend going, asking her, well, can I go to midnight mass? I want to experience that. And I was a teenager and on Christmas Eve left time with my family to just to, to see what that was about and experience that culture. That's something that you can do at 62 if you want to. That is excellent. I love it. I love the idea of just taking yourself almost out of your cultural norm and doing something completely new and different and celebrating those differences. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful idea. I might have to incorporate that into my plans. Make the dish that nobody wants to eat. Make it yourself. Ta tackle something new. Yes, I love that. And I wonder, I'm, I'm sure traveling is probably more expensive over the holidays, but I can see where it would be fun to go to somewhere you, you know, you've never been before and see what holidays are like, you know, in a different part of the country or something. Yeah, that would be fun. Or maybe even get together with other people, other empty nesters would be an idea. That's good. Um, another person had asked what, how to um, enjoy the holidays when you don't feel thankful for anything. So currently right now we are doing a gratitude challenge. And mm -hmm. so we have these, you know, steps. I think every day we're writing down three things we're thankful for. And then once mm -hmm. a week we're like telling someone that we're thankful for them. And then I think once in the entire month we're lavishing thanks on a particular person or whatever. But um, someone brought this up. Is that just maybe sometimes you just feel like you're, you can't think of anything you're thankful for at that moment, especially during the holidays. Well, again, the cultural expectation that we're supposed to express a lot of um, thankfulness and joy around Thanksgiving may not be something we want to participate in. Mm -hmm. uh, but if we choose to and really want to use that time to connect with that part, I would suggest that there is something you can find gratitude for. Um, I think that I can, let's see, I remember when I was most depressed in college, I believe, and then again in grad school. 
um, I can remember being so low and trying to find knowing that skill of finding something that was going well that I thought, what if I didn't have fingers to wipe away my tears? Oh, wow. <laughs> gratitude for the fact that I had my, my fingers. So there's something that you're grateful for. Is it your pinky toe? <laughs> you know, like what is it? And starting in the very basic thing, I'm just thankful I have tear ducts that I can cry. Um, I'm thankful that I have a place to lay my head. I'm thankful that um, I can have a, a shower. You know, just very basic things that somebody on the earth doesn't, doesn't have the luxury of or the comfort of and start there and then build from there. But there's something, there's something that you're thankful for having. Um, so I would encourage just to continue to try, not with some expectation that it's going to be something grand or meet someone else's um, approval or something that's Facebook worthy. But honestly, sometimes it starts with the big toe. Because it would be a lot harder to live without your big toe. Somebody is out there living without a big toe. Right. Well, when I remember a, a time of going through kind of a depression too, and one of my friends had recommended that, oh, write down five things you're thankful for every day. And I was thinking, are you crazy? Five things? I can't think of five things every single day that I'm thankful for. And it, I think it's kind of like a muscle. The more you flex it, the better you know, the stronger it gets because I started with just one thing a day. Now I've worked my way up to three things a day. So <laughs> I'm able to come up with something. And you know what is sometimes if I'm like stumped, I can't think of anything to be thankful for today. I ask my kids and they start pointing out all kinds of things to be thankful for. So that's a good one. There's something. I think a lot of times when we can't think of things to be thankful for. It's because of sometimes depression, like you mentioned what you went through. And I know that was my experience. So I feel like a lot of times at holidays, people do tend to get depressed. So what maybe are some of the signs to look out for so that we know, oh, maybe this is depression. And also what kind of steps would we take if we recognize that maybe we are experiencing that? Well, first, before I get into the symptomology of it, just a reminder that a lot of times it's based on an expectation. I should be, or I'm supposed to be feeling a certain this way, and I feel this way. And if we can eliminate that expectation, um, sometimes that helps shift the perspective enough to recognize that I'm okay where I am. I don't have to be in this other space mentally or emotionally, and that can be really helpful. Um, signs of clinical depression, uh, Pay attention first to how it's affecting the body. What's changing in your sleep? Are you, um, you having a shift in your appetite or even weight gain or loss? Um, those are really big indicators that we don't always pick up on, you know, that we don't necessarily can identify something we feel sad about, but something is happening in our, just in our being. Are we moving more sluggishly? Are we particularly agitated? What are, what's the content of our thoughts? Is it more negative? Is it more hopeless? Um, are we feeling guilt? Are we questioning our value in the world? Uh, things like that. Are we sad? Sadness is a piece of it. Sadness is not always present. So that's something to think about too. And you may not, you may be sad and not be able to identify why you're sad. And it could be a chemical shift in the brain to pay attention to. You know, do you feel like doing anything? Are you motivated? The, even the things that you typically enjoy just don't sound appealing to you. Um, and are you having thoughts of suicide? Or a lot of times it occurs like passive thoughts of death. That it's not necessarily that I'm thinking about how I would end my life, but more about just not existing, you know, and, and not waking up or if something happened to me, I wouldn't care. 
Um, those sorts of things indicate depression. I think I hit them all. Oh, memory and focus. That's another big one too. Um, that, and, and that can indicate some other issues, but that is definitely a sign of depression. So a decline in being able to focus and memory yeah. sometimes. Okay. And often that's connected to the sleep. That's the first thing to go if we're not sleeping. Mm-hmm. We're sleeping too much. That, that's another really big one. That's what it looks like in me because I'm okay. not. If I'm sleeping, something may be wrong. <laughs> uh, and if someone recognizes that they are having a few of these symptoms, then what, what do you suggest? Well, definitely seek help. Not everyone feels like following through with those steps. So sometimes just telling someone is, is helpful. And there is a, a national suicide hotline and calling that hotline. You don't have to be thinking about suicide just to get another voice on the line. You know, someone that can help facilitate you that may have a little more energy than you have at the point to di- direct you. Um, but a loved one would be really helpful to share that. Be careful about that. Um, some cultures really don't value um, mental health care and you know, it's popular to say, oh, just pray about it or invalidate the feelings. It's not that bad. You have so much to be grateful for. You should just be happy. So people that you tend to get those responses from are not the ones that you seek help from. Um, it just could be a neighbor, just anybody that you can say, I, I need a little something and I'm having trouble getting there. Um, sometimes people really struggle with making that phone call. I have some phone anxiety, but now there are options for text messaging and reaching out to people. Um, but definitely try not to go it alone. I definitely reach out to to someone. A professional is is ideal, but get a start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Even if it's your physician, you know, if yes. you've got a checkup. I've been feeling low, or that's somebody you're comfortable and feel safe with. Start there. Yes, and definitely, I th- I think that you brought up a really good point about being careful who you talk to because I think a lot of us have heard those responses like you do have so much to be thankful for. How can you be depressed? Your life is so perfect. <laughs> I'm not sure if I've told your um, your audience about my mom staying with me for the first six months after I had my daughter, and I did deal with quite a bit of depression. Now I was functioning, so it's it's a little bit challenging to see, but it was an experience that I had deeply internally. And my therapist is actually just walking distance from my house. So every Friday morning, I'd get up and go to my therapist appointment, and my mom was with Eleanor, and she said, "I just don't see why you do that." you just need to pray about it. And it's not um, inherently funny, but it's hilarious because the home that we were in, that she was staying in the bed she slept in is financed by the career that I have, which means other people acknowledge that they need help. It was just terribly ridiculous that she would say that. The irony of it. Value what it is that I do. And I know that wasn't her intention. She's just, you know, going back to her cultural standard of the Lord will just take care of it all. Oh my word. That that's funny. Well, someday Eleanor will be telling some people some funny things that you've done too. So it always goes full circle. Um, But that brings up another point I wanted to ask you about. So we talk about our expectations, but this is something that I have friends who are struggling with and it's the um, expectations of other people on your life. How do we deal with that? What do we do? How do we um, get out from under those? Can you be more specific or provide an example about that? Okay. So, um, 
in a situation where maybe a husband and wife, you know, the husband has expectations about how the wife is going to handle certain situations, or maybe he wants to parent the adult children in a certain way. And he just has these expectations that she's going to go along with it. Maybe she doesn't have the ability to deal with these adult children problems the way that he does. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, some situations where men are able to compartmentalize things um, sometimes better. And as moms, we take on every struggle, every stressor that our children are going through. Um, so that might be one situation or just expectations about the holidays. People have expectations that they put on you. And how can we, I guess one thing I think like in close relationships is how do we explain to other people that they have unreasonable expectations of us. Mm -hmm. um, I want to challenge your language there just at the end um, that they may have, and they may be unreasonable, but they may be reasonable, but unrealistic. Okay. You know, it may be like, sure, it's fine that you would desire that, but that is not something I am going to provide for you. So I just kind of wanted to point that out. So unrealistic um, expectations as opposed right. to unreasonable. Yeah. Gotcha, it's, not gotcha. reasonable. it's not unreasonable that you want these things or you'd like to see it happen this way. Like one day, Eleanor may come to me and say, Mom, can we just have a traditional meal? Will you cook that for me? And I say, honey, that's just not realistic. Mama, don't cook. <laughs> Go talk it's to your dad. Cool. You desire that. I'll go to the Cracker Barrel and see if they can do that for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not realistic that that's going to happen. Um, so that's a, a more, a lighter example. And some are just a little bit more, more serious where you can validate them and say, that's reasonable. I can understand why you would desire that. It's just not something that I feel confident providing for you or it fits in my value system or just that I'm willing to do. And that's, it'd be firm on that expectation and see if you can negotiate something that works. Now, going back to what do we do about differences and how we parent um, or what our expectations of each other are, and those are discussions that we really ideally have before it becomes a problem, but often we don't know it needs to be discussed until it is a problem. Mm -hmm. and so I like to think of partnerships as like a doubles tennis match, you know, and there, sometimes one partner has a greater strength than the other. You know, and that is something we just need to acknowledge. Like you play the backcourt because you're stronger than, than I am in that sense. And you can count on me to volley, you know? So that's that sort of thing where we just kind of acknowledge that these are my limitations. These are my strengths. Like let's, let's maximize the strengths and minimize the limitations. And if you're injured, I'm injured. So I don't want to do anything that's going to, you know, that's going to hurt you. I don't, I'm not going to throw something on the course to get you to break your ankle because that's going to hurt me. So I recognize that. That means, you know, don't um, disrespect, don't call each other names, don't do anything that's going to hurt or injure the other person or activate their wounds and also strengthen them as best you can to be supportive of them and help them be most successful. Because when you score a point, it's one for my team too. I'm, I'm really good at that. Um, at whatever you're good at, essentially I'm good at vicariously if I can be supportive of you and help you do that well. So it's a lot of just recognizing the, the truth of what is, what's possible, what's realistic, um, validate what, what's reasonable, you know, that your partner may desire something of you that you just don't feel like fits into your value system that you can give, or, or maybe just feel like that's a limitation of yours and that you will go as far as you can, but that the expectation of the partner may be that your heart's in the right place, you're making the effort, but you've hit your limitation and that they need to fill in the rest. 
Does that answer that fully? Yes, it does. And I really like that our partner's uh, strengths are our strengths by default, basically. So I love that. I really do like that. That's very helpful. So I think um, just, you know, going into it, knowing that you can um, address the fact that we sometimes have unrealistic expectations of one another and being able to discuss it in the way you just presented. I think that is very helpful. So that's all of the questions I have, but I know you usually have some really good tools in Dr. J's tool bag. Have you have anything that comes to mind that can just help us to enjoy and embrace the holiday season more and with better mental health? It really has, the biggest thing is shifting expectations to match what your true desires are. And sometimes our expectations really do mask our desires or we absorb expectations from others or the culture. But just to really kind of take some time to sit with yourself, your healthy self, so take care of yourself and be healthy and connect to your gut. And say, what is it that, what is it that I desire? And give yourself permission to desire things and let that be okay. Um, and not feel guilty about that. You know, I, I want to go to New York city for Christmas. You know, I would love to do that. It's not realistic. It's not going to happen, you know, but I don't, I need to resist the urge to feel guilty that um, I don't want to spend it in this house with my pajamas as much as I'd like to have some adventure and just recognize that it's okay that I'm mourning that, but what can I incorporate that would give me a little bit of adventure? Maybe our family takes a hike, you know, maybe we go downtown and see what our city has to offer for Christmas Eve. So just allowing yourself to connect to your desire so that you can have some of your needs and desires met as well. So a lot of what I'm saying is the more the mental work, more so than actually doing this or that, um, beyond being healthy. You're always going to hear me say that, eat, sleep, and exercise. Um, but the rest is a lot of mental work and just giving yourself permission and allowing yourself to um, act outside of imposed expectations and share your own expectations or hopes and dreams and see what you can negotiate with the people who are in your life. And being okay, acknowledging that our feelings are, they're okay. We can feel always our feelings. Valid. Always valid. That's wonderful. Thank you, Dr. J. You're the best. I know that everybody listening is going to be able to use this um, episode to just sail through the holidays, hopefully with a smile <laughs> on their face. Or it just survives. Sometimes that's the expectation is that I'm just going to survive this. And then survive yourself when you survive it. Yeah. I mean, I think if nothing else, just realizing that we have a choice. I mean, for me, that has been the most empowering thing is just to realize I have a choice. And even if I choose to do that thing, it feels better knowing that I chose it, acknowledging it. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. J so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review so other people can learn about this podcast. Find out more about sleep, hygiene, eating healthy, tasty recipes, zero-waste lifestyle, and lots more on thatorganicmom.com. Help us spread the word. Be blessed and stay healthy.